0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the Ubuntu Podcast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Ubuntu Podcast. This is your co-host, Henel Gilma, and I'm joined with my wonderful colleagues. Why don't you guys go
2: ahead and introduce yourselves?
0: Come on, Natty. We ain't seen you in a bit. Go ahead and say hi. (laughs)
2: Hey, it is Natty Vulture. Hope everyone is doing well. Happy to be here. Excited for a great conversation. I took a couple of weeks off, you know, a bit busy as we all are, but excited for the conversation today. David, you got something to say?
0: I'm just going to say hi. Hey folks, y'all know me. Good to have NB back in the house. So, uh, good to hear you from you too. Okay, everybody.
1: Awesome, thank you guys. Glad that you guys are are all back on as well. Just to reiterate our mission here at Ubuntu, our goal is to create a radically thoughtful space for the African diaspora to deeply explore how we can create, sustain, and struggle to achieve genuine community and solidarity across the world. Now, this is a special episode where we'll be discussing innovation, in particular, on the African continent. We've also got a special guest here today named Max Ateba. We'll go into our conversation with him pretty soon.
0: So, I'll hand it over to you, David. I'm very excited. We brought a guest back, so I know these last couple episodes we've been riding. solo and y'all been getting used to hearing our beautiful voices all over again. However, we got to keep bringing in the expertise. (laughs) And so I'm super excited about today's conversation. We want to talk largely about innovation and what it means and the progress and the process that we see innovation taking place all throughout the continent of Africa with an expert. I think for many years we've heard that Africa is full of young talent and is like blossoming with innovation, like all the articles, Forbes and all the reports and all these large you know institutions corporations saying like everything we need to know about the future is happening we need to look towards Africa to see what's going on, and so we keep, we continue to hear that innovation is what's going to really change the continent. You know, turn the tide of what has been historically experienced by a lot of violent systems, um, and really ultimately change the world as a result. And so today, we will be talking to a young African. You know, he's a little older than me, but I would consider him young, <laughs> who is deeply involved in the work of cultivating this human capital on the continent by supporting the development of young, innovative talent. That already exists, and so I'm super excited to be presenting. I know Natty, you might want to say something too, because you know it's. It, I feel like we got a trend. Some of our best guests, they always from Natty, you know. So, and I know this is one of Natty's friends. His name is Max Ateba. He also just recently finished some travel to the continent. So this man is legit. Okay, we ain't talking about just nobody. You know, they ain't been to the continent. I mean, this man, his passport is stamped. Okay, he does he does the work.
2: <laughs> he does the work. He is on the continent and he is actively fighting and pushing for the growth of the continent and he is driven by a desire to see the continent grow as a whole and also has a conviction that the continent is made up of the people and and so for the continent to grow the people need to grow and for the people to grow they need investment right in themselves someone to believe in them someone to show them how to grow and how to how to push forward and so very excited to have Max on and Max you want to say a couple of words just to introduce yourself to the to the to the podcast
3: yeah absolutely Thank- Thank you so much for having me uh, here at Ubuntu Podcast. You guys are amazing. I feel fairly privileged to be here. I think I owe that privilege to you, my connection to you and Natty. Uh, We met a couple of years ago as colleagues, you know, being two black, two of only three people, Black people on an entire floor. <laughs> you know, it's easy to stand out and like squat each other out. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but what happened after that, I think, is something that we, you know, both cultivated, something that we decided we're going to be intentional about now and I'm very much about intentionality. So I, I'm really excited to see you, you know, pushing through with this initiative. I think sometimes we get caught up with work and, and other kinds of initiatives, but being able to say, you know this is something that I really care about and putting your you know, literally I suppose say, putting your money and time where your mouth is. You know, this is a testimony of it. So uh, I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I hope to share, you know, insights, experiences and knowledge that I've accumulated over time, right? I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, in, in taking from those that have come before, you and have done it elsewhere but also not just taking being able to give back and it's paying forward but in our case especially with the continent it's actually investing in our people so that you know one we put ourselves on the map right if our kids and our grandkids are facing the same challenges that we had to face then I feel like we failed so I and I'm not about failure, failure and I'll leave it at that for now so really excited to be here thank you for the opportunity
1: yeah that's awesome thanks so much Max and thank you again for coming on we're really excited to have you here really look forward to this conversation can you just give us a a bit of a background about just where you come from um, and what does Ubuntu mean for you specifically?
3: So my name is Max Atiba. I'm originally from Cameroon, West Africa. For folks that are you know, fairly new or not necessarily well versed in the you know, geopolitics of, of, of West of Africa in general, I would say you know if you look at Nigeria, which most people are familiar with, it's gonna be you know, for, you know, a bit south, southwest of Nigeria. So right there, right on top of the equator, which you know, we like to say is what gives us balance. Right, we, we're sitting on top of what gives the whole universe or the whole Earth balance. So we felt we feel like we you know we from the beginning from our birth have to be balanced. I, I, I spend a First 18, almost 19 years of my life in Cameroon. So I went through the you know the, the school system from kindergarten to essentially college there. Loved it, loved every moment of it. I now live, I moved to the US actually 11 years ago, but I spent six years, six and a half years in Europe before moving to the US. So I feel like I'm dating myself here. And Ubuntu, right? Like I'm working through this story. I'd say my belief in Ubuntu and my understanding of it have helped through that journey. At the age of nine, I actually essentially went to live with random strangers in the school that I was talking about. The lessons or the teachings that my my father and my grandma had kind of shared with me around the, the concept of ubuntu that carried me through and for and if you ask my grandma i should say something along the lines of you now we are custodian of, of humanity like as you know as humans right like if you define ourselves like one of the first things you're probably going to say is I'm, I'm a human being and from that point on you are custodian of that whole species being able to do that you know or to be able to do that you have to one hold yourself accountable to hold the others accountable because you no know, as the saying goes right like i am because you are. But if, if I'm not my full self or my best self, I'm shortchanging you. And likewise, if you're not your, your full and best self, you're shortchanging me. And if any of us is doing that, we're shortchanging our community. So the idea of accountability and commitment to excellence is where the whole thing starts. Not just, oh, I'm going to do this because you're here for me. No, I'm doing it because I have to be the best thing, first things first, in terms of our contribution to mankind or humankind. Then at the lower level, is our community. How do we make sure that we're the best, that we can be for our community uh so i've taken that with me over time i've created communities or be you know joint communities you don't always have to create them i think I, for the longest time i thought you had to create things and then over time i, I learned to being able to join a community and making it part you know making it yours you don't have to create it um so that's what ubuntu means to me right it, it's commitment to excellence accountability to solve to the other and to to the community and and also uh, a fair amount of selflessness and stewardship towards, towards humanity we, guardians or custodians of, of this whole thing we of, we all inherited, and we need to make sure that the next generations are not dealing with a not sure change, right? But it's almost like a, a business equation. You shouldn't be leaving behind less than what you got. Someone invested in you; they should be happy to have made that investment. And the collective of humanity has invested in you from the beginning. The hospital you got born into, someone else built it. Some of the people worked there. It just didn't show up overnight, and everything was fine. So it's your job to make sure that by the time you leave, in my view, or the way I was I was taught by. It's your job to make sure that the next generations have a better like starting point. They're not, they're not going from behind your starting line, but maybe a step or two ahead. Wow.
0: That was so red. Thank you. I'm like, man, this is the kind of pandemic content I need. <laughs> the kind of conversations that keep me going. I really appreciated that. Really beautiful, thought-provoking exploration on how Ubuntu has shaped your life. And so you talked a bit. I appreciate you talking about your background. You know, you described where you kind of made it to the U.S. And a lot of your classmates, I'm assuming, who you grew up with probably, didn't for a variety of reasons now many people like will see that as a negative thing but could you talk about the power in an african education like what was the most memorable thing about your african education and do you feel like there were some keys to your success in there that helped you transition to the u.s
3: yeah good, really good question and for those that focus on, you know, a bit more on academia like i studied economics in undergrad i uh, went to i did that in italy at the catholic university the jesuit university moving of maybe georgetown in the, in the dc area Fordham in new york and then studied, you know, find, got my MBA in finance at St. John's in New York. Going from Cameroon to, to Italy, I essentially showed up three months before I was supposed to start school and I spoke no word or actually I spoke one word of Italian. That was ciao. <laughs> and now I was so on Cameroon. I was studying political sciences. I was, you know, going in the second year and then decided, you know, with my family, it made sense to move to Europe and, and go study economics. But my dad wanted me to study commerce or business but I think I wanted to a, a push of things. So, and, and I'm saying all oh, that, you know, because the question was what what, you know, what was the best part of my education in Cameroon and how that helped me navigate my transition into the U.S. The school, I think I'm going to refer a lot to the school, you know, it's called St. Joseph's, you know, it's actually a, a, an amazing uh, middle and high school. I would say probably two or three things made it you know, stuck with me, made, made me who I am today and will always be a part of who I am. There was a sense of just discipline from the get-go. We were up every morning at 5, 5.15, 5.30 every day for six years. That shapes you whether you want it or not. you could rebel the first year, you could rebel maybe the first semester, or, or we had quarters at the time. You could rebel the first quarter. Like over time, you the sooner you embrace it, the easier it gets for you. And there are benefits to it, right? Like I think at first I was actually rebelling against this thing, which didn't help me. <laughs> You're just making it harder for yourself. But having embraced that that part of things, right? Like the, the orchestrated nature of a school like that makes things just better organized for you. All you have to do is follow this, you know, the the, the blueprint. Wake up like everybody else, you have the first two hours to study, read something, and don't follow asleep hopefully right <laughs> if you feel like you're falling asleep get your accountability buddy that that's one thing i would say I, I you know that stuck with me i had an accountability buddy the whole time someone that i never knew from you know before showing up there and within two months you we were like you know what you're sitting next to me you know, in doing class in class and your bed is just about maybe four or five beds from from my bunk so in the morning if i'm if i'm oversleeping like make sure that i'm up and if you and if that's you make sure i'll make sure that you're up and doing what you're supposed to do so having that accountability partner buddy that one one now to you know to, to be a little more structured that structure first that I'm going to wake up every morning at 5 30 or I do late at 6 I think over time it's kind of gone from 5 30 to just about 6 and I'm still happy to be up at 6 what that does to you you know no matter if you know I think when I when I came to New York I had classes starting at like 4 or 4 30 so when we'd say well you don't have to be up too late then what am I doing for the first half of the day and I always feel like by the time people start emailing me at 8 or 9 I had a head start and nothing feels better than that to someone like me like if I feel like I have a head start i don't have to compensate for anything else and i could focus on the other things that maybe i'm lacking on or i need to get better at so that structure helped me a lot and still helps me today right being able to you know the second part of it is being able to focus we were taught you know we we're going through just about like 10 courses every single you no know, quarter that's a lot of material again it's almost as if someone is overloading you with information every single time the way you survive you know that kind of a system is you're able to like compartmentalize and focus on one thing at a time so by the time i showed up to where they was Italy or America, you could, you could throw a million things at me. I'll prioritize effectively because I know right now for the next two hours, this is the only thing that matters. And I remember vividly some of the guys in my class, we had a couple of classes that were crazy. I you know, think statistics for finance is one that comes back every every time we talk about it. We had people that dropped out of that class by week six. I was like, you've already invested six weeks in the class and you're th- saying this is too much. For me, it was just, this is the priority right now. There's no opting out of it. There's just going through it. And the more you focus, on it, better you are. So maybe it means you're going to drop another class, but since it's a it's a prerequisite, I'm not going to delay my graduation or anything else because I'm trying to, you know, so being able to focus on one or two things, I'm really big on one thing. I don't, you know, I think the whole multitasking thing is a myth. I, I'm not a, a psychologist, so I haven't studied the topic, but in my experience and having observed people around me, there's only... You know, there's only so much you could do. There's, if your aim and your and your you know, operating model is excellent. You can't excel when doing two things. You could do marginal things like maybe listening to you know some music in the background while maybe working out, but you're truly just working out. The other thing is just kind of marginal and it's coming in and it's effortless. You're not engaged in, in the production or the add, the value add adding part of, of that one other thing. So those two things were really big, you know, the things that made me uh, made it easy for me to, to do well in the US. And the third one is probably the biggest, which is an ability to adapt and create your community. Having gone to the school, and and this is not just because I went to you know this specific school. I think in Cameroon and and I've observed in other parts of Africa, I've traveled mostly West Africa, but also East Africa between you know, Uganda and Kenya. I think I'm I'm lacking a little bit in East in Africa. But you know, from Cameroon to Nigeria, you know, maybe you skip Benin, which is sad because I have a lot of Beninese friends. Togo, Ghana, you know, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria. I've gone through all of those countries and you would see that kids coming from villages and small towns find themselves making friends in brand new spaces within a week, and as humans we need that the individualistic approach to life and capitalistic uh or over overly capitalistic approach of life to life in a society like the us could be very misleading right if you think oh i'm going to get it done by myself you probably can't but in my experience it might it'd be very much easier for you make it easier for yourself on yourself when let's say you know you're taking a statistics class that's maybe a 600 level class and the last one you took was maybe level 100 or 200 there's a lot there to take in and to, to be able to like process and give back at a level of the mba but there's probably someone in that class that maybe even has a phd in statistics reach out to the to the guy or the warrior i have the i have a warrior mentality hey warrior i know you've been crushing that class you asked all the questions that i haven't i don't even have a clue what you asked about do you have 30 minutes for me this weekend or tonight that's all i need and oh by the way if you ever have an issue with i don't know econometrics or, or like be able to give back right so I'm, I'm offering something right away and you may not need it but it's me telling you you have something I need I'm not too full of myself to ask but at the same time if you ever need anything that I'm able to provide whether myself or my community you should know that my door is open to you and should be able to come back you should want to come back so those three things I believe help me make it you know navigate both not just the U.S. like Italy and especially the U.S. because it was cultural shock very different society very different approach to even education but I- I'll pass there
2: yeah that is uh, such an interesting perspective that you're sharing Max and I think um, you know your experiences are unique and, and it's really interesting for us to hear you know the perspective of someone on the continent or who's lived on the continent who was educated on the continent versus right the narrative that we often hear which is that you know coming to the states is like a saving grace for a lot of people you know um, i've 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 actually seen a lot of times in my, in my personal experience with with relatives cousins right who went to school similar to you you know in ethiopia my family's from ethiopia and then Came to the states for college. A lot of them had more of a challenge culturally than they did academically. Is probably the best way to put it. Like academically, they were fine. You know, like they were they were able to adjust because they had had so much thrown at them early on in school, right? And it's, it was really more culturally that that they had to kind of shift and adjust. Because I think to what you're saying, people on the continent, right, have this enduring camaraderie and this real sense of Ubuntu, as we talked about. And I think you don't always see that, especially in colleges, and particularly when you go to a, a competitive university, right, where everyone is there to go, 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 their parents probably are like, come on, like, we need you to just, you know, make our money worth it, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They, they come with such an individualistic mentality a lot of time that is it's a hard clash for people who come from somewhere where like you said you're often supporting one another and you know oftentimes in school i would hear in college i would hear people talking about going to tutors right but i didn't hear oftentimes as many people saying like hey david hey henna like you're you know seem to be pretty well versed in this unit that we've been going through right now in our finance class i'm having a little bit of trouble here would love to spend some time with you if you don't mind right um, and I think that's just, a, that's a unique thing that I that I noticed from what you said. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. And so switching gears a little bit. So we've talked a little bit about your perspective, your experience, right? And now as someone who is in the States, and, you know, still sort of goes back and forth, I'm sure you have a lot of thoughts on on the, the continent as a whole and, and the potential for it, right? And, and, you know, I've seen lots of statistics, and I'm sure you've seen statistics about the potential of the continent to continue to grow, go around. There was a a study a couple of years ago that said by 2020 the continent would have half a billion mobile subscribers and the continent would has become you know the fastest growing area for mobile technology and and because of that it's emerging right as this medium for social and commercial innovation right and on top of that we also see that according to the UN, the continent is very young, very, very young. 75%. And this surprised me, I just saw this last night, 75% of Africa's population is under the age of 35. Um, And so there is a ton, 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 right, of young potential. So all that say, and I have a couple questions here, but I'll start with this first part, right? Looking at the future of the African continent, right? And keeping in mind that the nature, we're, the, the sort of place we're in right now, right, still amidst, amidst the pandemic, what do you see as the most unique opportunity? Opportunities that will come out of the pandemic, and and what really excites you the most about that?
3: Yeah, the, the statistics about the Af- you know, African youth, African population being mostly young, you know, seventy five percent or whatnot. I think, to me, if you look at economics, the way we've been taught for, you know, I you know the, the schools of thoughts that you know that say a lot of the, you know, development is predicated on 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 the you know good dev- you know demographic growth. Right, we we're beyond that. We have a more than healthy demogra- you know, demographic you know, uh, trajectory here. Uh, I think, and, and that excites me. I'm, I've, I think I'm, I'm, I'm probably not. I'm probably I'm committed to being young forever. I think the minute you get old, you're killing yourself. Like to me, youth means you know innovation, orbit, creativity, being able to dare to do things that people are not will- other people are not willing to do. Not having those refrains that grown grown-ups, or, or people that are settled. So I think in terms of when I say grown ups, uh, you know, please understand I'm, I'm meaning more someone that's settled, settled in their way, have, has a job, has family, a family that you know, and he feels like I can't take risks, I, I can't take chances. Do you
2: mean someone who's comfortable, almost,
3: right? Uh, yes, exactly. I think that's a better word, comfortable. So, you know, forgive me if I'm, I ramble now and then because I'm trying to find the right word. I'm you know, French is uh, you know, English is more like my third language, so in terms I have to fight.
2: J'ai parlé plus un peu, peu, peu plus de français. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> i know that <laughs> but yeah i think comfort right like I, I know youth you know when you're young you're not comfortable with anything there's that you know people look like, you know and it translates in different ways like you're rebel you know you you're daring you you looking at looking at things even as a baby you're looking at things and like t- turning them upside down right even a glass of water you'll, you know you're not spilling it because you're just wondering what would happen if you did this one thing if you took this one act or this you know take this one action uh so I, i'm excited about that this is uh, if you multiply that one no you know one, one of those factors by you know the number of, of young people there goes your potential for growth and development now the second thing i'm, I'm excited about is something that you mentioned i actually brought Broaden it up. Mobile penetration, the highest in the world. We've never seen that before. I would say technology, tech adoption. There's not enough being talked about or not enough literature covering it. Africans are really fast at adopting technology. There are a couple of things that we, you know, and, and one of the areas actually, you know, in finance space, I, I was not finance before, I was in banking. Right? We talk about fintech a lot. The way Africa has gone, you know, by fintech is in a way that the U.S. couldn't, even the U.S. could never catch up. But that's because people are willing to do things that no one else has done before. And they say, you know what, this is my challenge. I'm gonna find a way to pay you without having to go, to, you know, open open a bank or whatnot. So that creativity is stemming from one, the need, right? Like I need to pay you. It's just living your day-to-day life, but also two, saying, you know what? I have nothing to lose. This is. You know, if I don't try this, no one else will bring solutions to me. And while people, you know, a lot of a lot of narrative kind of you know paints this picture where I, no one has been developing solutions for Africa and everyone comes with their own agenda, which is actually fairly true. Like you know, when the U, you know the U.S. comes and says, hey, we're going to you know, create this paper, paper program to help solve healthcare issues in, in on the continent. So you know what? There's, there's value in that. But as long as someone else is building solutions for you, those are going to be their solutions. Now, if you if you own your house, you live in your house, you know what, what kind of lighting you want. So for someone to bring you know, a flashlight and say, hey, this is the light that you need, it could be all that they can think of. But for you, if you read every day, you're going to realize over time that flashlight is not your solution. And probably before they even show up, you already have your own solution. And it's just a matter of building it up, making it ubiquitous, making it affordable and whatnot. So I'm excited about that, about the way we're using technology. people. Building drones and even cars, right? And it doesn't. To me, innovation is not just about like creating things that no one has created before. It's about creating solutions that have not been, you know, shown to work for you in your space. Bring new solutions to you. To me, that's innovation. It's not just oh, I'm going to build this drone that's you know as effective or as oh, as you know that could compete with something that was built out of MIT or Stanford. That, that's that that that's not the game for me. Like the name of the game is how do we advance? So I'm really excited about the way Africans and especially the youth is using technology. To solve their own problem. and I hate to say that to solve, to solve our problems, the problems of the continent and world problems for that matter. Because one of the things I, I, you know, one of one of my issues with the narrative is when when people talk about the US, they talk about the US in the context of the global economy. When people talk about Europe, they talk about Europe in the context of how do they contribute to the global economy. For some reason, same with Asia, but for some odd reason, the minute you talk about Africa, it's more so. Oh, how do we take care of them? Now, Africa doesn't need taking care. No, no caring. Africa you just need business partners and ourselves to be developing solutions so i'm very excited about the way the youth is working on technology even reg tech you know regulation technology It's driven by the youth not by the regulator you know like if you if you go and read about it more and unfortunately there's not a ton at this point uh so i'm excited about that
2: what you're sharing is really powerful and as you're talking you're sort of started to answer my follow-up question that i was going to ask you which is you know you talked about how when you own your own house you know what that house needs, you know what type of lighting it needs right so so when something comes because you're authentic to that house, right like you are the owner of that house, but when someone comes in who's never been in that house right and brings you something else, you can identify that i don't I don't know if you want to call it a counterfeit, but like if you need a light replaced and someone brings you a, a different light from your own, you can tell them hey that's that's not the light for my house right that's not the that's not the right thing that fits. And I think oftentimes we can see goodwill, right? You know, there's goodwill to support the continent, but sometimes that that goodwill can either get misplaced or overrun by, um, you know, desire for power, finances, resources, whatever, right? Beyond just trying to support the continent. So in terms of the growth that you're excited about, how can we, right, um, especially being diaspora, focus on expanding and not exploiting, right, the continent?
3: Good, good question. And I think I, I'll build up on uh, part of the, the previous question in terms of like this, you know, the sectors or areas where, where, that I'm excited about. Uh, education is one of them. Um, Nadia, you, you know this. I'm, I'm big on education. And in a way, the way that education is being transformed on the continent is ahead of the U.S. But that's because we don't have the same challenges there are a lot of parts of, you know, in Africa, I was in Dakar just about two, three weeks ago. There's still schools where you're actually sitting outside. It's not, it's not a formal classroom with a building. But that one guy is using a tablet and he's literally, and the night before, texting the parents with the homework. And I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. That's something we want to do differently. And there are platforms being developed both by the diaspora, and this ties to what you were asking about, both by the diaspora and people on the ground saying, hey, this is how we. This is my vision of education in the next decade or so, and here's my contribution to it. Oh, by the way, I spent the last twenty years in the U.S. running, I don't know, the education system in in California. I could help. I could come and help you do that in 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 Ghana. Well, not just that. I could come and help you do that. I think it's part of my mission, right? Like if you remember what I said before about our, you know, our own self, like being a full best and living up you know, to, uh, to the highest of our potential and our commitment, uh, our stewardship to humanity. We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to humanity to give where there's most need or, or put it in the reverse in a, in a different way in economic terms, to go where you're gonna have the most impact. If you do, if set up a mentorship program in DC and don't get me wrong, I have one or I run, uh, I run one, uh, you, have, you have some value, you have an impact. And, but a kid that's already going to Georgetown or GW or American University has, like, the baseline is, is such that there are certain challenges they're not facing anymore. But if you take a kid of the same age or a youngster of the same age in Dakar or, or in, in Abidjan or in, in, in Kampala, the challenges are different. But you could, could propel that youngster much further with less. And I love the economics of that, right? I, I really am passionate about the idea that I could get a lot more done with less. And oh, by the way, I'm not shortchanging, which is again, tying back to the first thing, I'm not shortchanging myself or the other person that I'm working with. We're all benefiting from this. So I'm, I'm really excited about uh, education. I'm excited about healthcare. I, I think, you know, I think I, I'm convinced that in the pandemic, if you don't learn, if you don't create, Better solutions for how we provide care and how we actually prevent certain things from happening. There's no better time. Like we're not going to be able to do it another time. This is a perfect opportunity to do it. And my voices on the ground are saying we're, we're doing things right. It may take time, it may take, or, and, and this, this will tie back to, to your question. New ideas, human capital, right? Like the knowledge. People are going to all the, all the best schools in the world, but also having the right heart at the right place. I'm not going into healthcare because I want to make a quarter of a million per year. That's not a bad perk. I'm not against money. I am pro-capitalism all day, but I think compassionate capitalism is much more valuable than traditional capitalism, than selfish capitalism. What can the diaspora do? I think one is make it a point, individually and collectively, to go back. Like, like There's this thing... Um, in 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 Italy, one of one of the the trains that I used to take, regional train, or the, the the tagline was go there, and and I loved it. So I think we should all just say go there, whatever you whatever your motto in life, whatever you care about in life. I can almost guarantee you with certitude that you will find an opportunity to pursue that on the continent today, and you'll have much more impact and much higher reward than you would have in the US that I can almost be certain to guarantee that. Uh, so whatever your space is, find the equivalent or an avenue in the, in, in, in Africa. And I probably, I could point to maybe three things, that or four, I would say three plus, right? I like three things. So it will be three plus this time, right? So. If you're into health, uh, education is one of the things, right? Build, you know, find out what's going on and pick a country, right? Some are more advanced than others in any of these sectors or industries. But pick one and say, you know what? I really care about education. Here's what's working in the U.S. Here's what's working in South Asia. And I, like the, I personally love bringing a par, you know, comparison or parallel between South Asia and, and Africa. Because by the time... Uh, a lot of countries in Africa got their independence and maybe the first decade after that they were just about the same level. So to me, if anyone else could do it and hasn't been able to do it and like excel and stand out, like the Koreas of the world, Indonesia and Malaysia, right? Like I'm like I've listed I'm putting these two or three in the same bracket, but maybe I shouldn't. So let's just say the Koreas and and, and the Singapore's of the world and then maybe in the next bracket having the Malaysia Indonesia, and Indonesia and maybe and even Thailand of the world, right? Where you could have create an entire industry or make it so that the whole world Identifies that industry with your country. So figure that one thing out, and then go and do the same thing. There's no reason why Lesotho shouldn't be competing in textile at the same level as Taiwan does. Because guess what? Factories are just as good. The, the the workers are just as qualified and dedicated. Maybe we need to figure out the electricity part of it, but that's okay. We'll figure that out. Right? We'll do our part. Uh, Two, the second area is actually about trade. I'm big on trade. I was raised by two business people. So a lot of my life has been framed and shaped by who buys what, who sells what, and what what's needed in market space. And I think growing up in the U.S. or, or living here, we are accustomed to it. There's no reason we shouldn't do the same thing with the continent, right? We have the Agoa going on, like the, the Af- you know what is it, the African Africa growth opportunity, something, I can't remember what the A is, but essentially gives uh, trading partners of business, business people in the U.S. and on the continent, a platform to trade with very little, if any, kind of fiscal barrier or tariffs, right? So if you take out tariffs, that's a bit like China and the U.S. for the last four years, the biggest challenge was, well, you're snapping tariffs, you know, slapping tariffs on a- anything I'm trying to sell to you. But the, the whole continent doesn't have that, right? So we can all find a thing. I'm, I'm into healthcare. I'm into financial, you know, finance. I'm into clothing and whatnot. Find those opportunities on the continent and find ways to connect the dots, right? Now, this is a Deloitte thing, connecting the dots. Connect those dots between Africa and the U.S. in your space, in your community. Who's selling clothes? Who's doing, like, tires and whatnot? Okay, I could invest in that. I could facilitate that, that trade. I could put in a little bit of my money, right? And there are a lot of platforms out there that are making it easier to invest on the continent. We should use them. I can make shameless plugs here, but I'll i probably not I'll probably refrain from doing that. Yeah, so so those are the things like healthcare in, in, in a nutshell the, you know the way you do it is you you share your knowledge in one way, right? Like so bring your expertise to bear, right? Like, hey, I really know a lot about publishing or books. And I know a couple of book, you know, uh, publishing houses in New York. And oh, you're writing. Okay, great. I may not be able to get you the best deal, but I could get you to talk to this one guy that does, that, that's, been, that's focused on the same industry or sector uh, that, you, that you're writing about. And maybe the person doesn't end up getting a deal, but that's a connection you've established. And they could go from there. Um, so share your knowledge, but also you know expand on your network. So bring other people to your network and extend as so a give and take. On one end, you're bringing, you're bringing in. On the other, you're giving away. So you're sharing. Uh, so on the net, network side, and three, do business, invest, buy. I right? like. I have a couple of these, but I have no problems buying a new one because why not? You know, I I can. I'm fortunate enough and blessed that I can afford to buy an extra shirt because it's it's neater, nicer, and different. It's not you know, it's not like anything I've had in the last five years. I'll get that, uh, and maybe I'll buy one for a friend that really likes that you know the, this kind of clothes. But I'm I'm in in that sense. I'm investing. I'm creating. Right, like I'm contributing to the market space here, and but and and the more you empower, and I, and the whole thing to me is about empowerment. The more I empower you to pursue your passion and and to to bring to 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 give value to your craft, whether you're an athlete, whether you you're a trade person, like to to truly add value to your craft, the better off you are, and the better off we all are. Now you don't need me to give you something out of charity, but We've created a, you know, a business environment that enables you to to, to shine and, and, and excel. And people, tourism, that's, that's the extra one. I have very few friends that are not from the continent or not African that are like, oh my God, I want to go to Africa and truly mean it. But everyone you meet, every time you talk about Africa, everyone's like, oh, I want to go to Africa. I've been thinking about it for a while. What has prevented you? Right? So again, from that motto earlier, go there. And it's okay if you go to the, to the usual suspect, the Egypt of the world, the Morocco, the South Africa. I challenge you to go where, go to Cote d'Ivoire, right? Go to Togo, small country, literally the size of maybe less than Manhattan, but an amazing country. I've had the most fun there, right? And the people are the most welcoming you could meet in the universe, entire universe. And they take you as one of their own and you just showed up for a week or two weeks for work or for whatever that is. To me, that's priceless. So we should invite, we should plan on going. We should invite our people, uh, book a trip with friends. Hey guys, I know we plan on going to Mexico next year, but you know what? I have a better idea. Let's go to Uganda. Let's go to the source of the Nile. <laughs> and I tell you, if you go to the source of the Nile, your life, it's, it's an experience. It's like, it's, you never be the same. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Know, Instead of going to the Niagara Falls, I'm going to the, to, I can't remember the name of the, names of the, name of the falls in, in, in Uganda again. Go see those falls. Or you want to go see falls, go see those falls. In a different space, different place, meet new people and expand your horizon. I think we underestimate how much goes into one person visiting a country outside of their own. Like the business, like the, the, the travel, you know, the airline that you're booking, now they have business. The people behind that, right, whether it's the fuel industry or, or, or whatever, whatever they use to, to, to power themselves, uh, well, fuel is probably the, the, the way, um, the stewards, right? So you're actually giving, making sure that people still have jobs in this crazy economy. Um, and now once you get there, you open your horizons, and there's nothing more enriching than that. Oh, I've never thought of this. If you go to, and I feel like I'm rambling now, if you go to the market space in Kampala, to me, that should be, that, that picture should be the picture on every book when you talk about trade. It shouldn't be a computer of someone sitting in, in New York looking at, at stuff going, no, no, it's, it's like hundreds, you know, tens of thousands of people battering, trying to negotiate, trying to get the best deal, and at the same time enjoying it. They're hustling you and you're happy to be hustled. Again, I I, I I'm happy with things like that, but anyway, yeah.
1: Thanks so much, uh, Max. I think you, you brought a lot of really, really important points that I'm going to chew on. I think we all will. A couple of things that stuck out to me were the references that you made to the diaspora and then those that were on the ground in Africa. And you specifically mentioned how the diaspora should make it a point to collectively and individually really go back, to go back to the continent and to really help find solutions. Because as you mentioned as well, the perception of the continent has always been that it needs to be taken care of, like you said, and that no one is necessarily thinking of how having a solutions oriented approach to Africa. So that leads us to ask one really prevalent issue is brain drain, right? Like, as you mentioned, a huge challenge that we face is the African brain drain, where people have the desire to, to leave the continent and to pursue opportunities elsewhere. But oftentimes, people do not return and contribute and provide the solutions back in the continent. How do you think we can reverse that trend based on what you've already shared? And how can we move to an era where there are more products that are made by Africans for African people? So going back to that concept of African solutions to African problems.
3: A classic me. <laughs> That's a really good... You know, really good question, and and uh, they're, they're definitely, there are obviously people with better credentials to answer that question than me. Uh, so i will give my, my take here is we have to create. Right, like first things first, I like to look at. I'm, I'm I love history, and I think we should all look at it and learn from it and apply it to our different societies, our different uh, spaces and environments and people. If you look at this, the cultures and societies that have done well, they have had at any at multiple times. Sometimes they, they themselves created it. Or you know, what we call brain drain, they themselves created it. The Chinese sent their people to the Western world to learn. And some of them did not go back. Let's not, let's not pretend everyone that, that left China to go to Europe and to go to America went back. They didn't all go back. Look at the, you know, the US population right now. And it doesn't mean that the government is the one sending it. It's really oftentimes it's the family saying, you know what, to give ourselves a better chance to survive and do well in the future, we need to send one of ours to get that knowledge, get those opportunities, get that network, get that business, whatever that is. And a lot of it is knowledge-based. And I would say knowledge slash information. How do we prevent, so I guess to clarify that point is we need to look at it as one specific point in time. This is not something that's gonna last forever. Now, how do we make sure it doesn't last forever? Is we create opportunities for people to truly be able to flourish and excel on on the continent. So by developing the industries that they all that we all want to stay and do and, and, and work in here in the US. If you have like my you know, one of my first jobs in the US was at a bank in, in New York, if you have a financial system or financial market that is flourishing and booming in, in West Africa, there's no reason I shouldn't go back. I love the continent, a lot of us do. And if the if the industry is prospering and flourishing and the salary are commensurate, right, like the better you do, the more capital you drill, you, you, you drill, and, and by virtue, hopefully you give back, you give back enough in by, you know, way of salary, in the way of, you know, bonuses or whatever the structure is, if you set that right, people will come to you, build it and they'll come as 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 the, the, the Apple poet, you know, used to like to say, so... That, and 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 I would say there are just about, about maybe five or six industries that if you build them to you know towards excellence, we'll all like not all of us. And also that would be utopian. It's unrealistic to anticipate you know, to think that all oh, or oh, most Africans will go back. We're humans. Sometimes you get comfortable and like something somewhere. Like I like it here. Why go back? So we could one create the opportunities for people to go back in a way that enhances what the skill set they've gained, the experience they've accumulated, and then allows them to give back or build up, right? It's giving back, but also building up. Hey, I'm going to open a bank. Like how many people, and, I, and I've, I, I like to ask this question when I was in New York and banking, I, used to ask, ask, I literally probably asked this to all of the Africans that I met. How much do you think it, you, you know, it requires to open a bank in, in a random country in Africa? And very few had the answer. The number is $350,000 in a place like Ghana, in a country like Ghana. Now, that's information you have. And if your job or if, your goal, if you're like me and I was going and thinking, oh, if I want to run a bank, I need to know how it works. Well, it's also good to know how much it costs to actually have a bank in a place you know, like Ghana or Nigeria or whatnot. Then once you have that information, you can say, you know what, for the next 10 years, I'm going to work on accumulating maybe not you know, 350, but maybe 700 because, well, there's risk and whatnot. And once I'm just about three quarters of the way there, actually, maybe not even three quarters, half point there, I'm going. I'm starting to build. And I'm coming back. Now you could do what I call the shuttle, like the, the ambassador shuttle. Hey, I'm uh, when you're in Africa, you're building when you're here, you're a student and a contributor. As in, hey, the Lord needs you to go to Puerto Rico and help with the treasury. All right, I'm gonna spend you know five days there every week for the next six weeks, six months. Fine. But it's the minute I have two weeks, or I could cover about three three weeks of my time, I'm going back to build the next phase of this bank that I'm trying to build, or or this supermarket network or system that I'm trying to build, or these uh uh uh, metal uh, metal transformation business that i'm trying to build like having that one thing that keeps you wanting to go back so like, you know to me it's like loving something it's like i love basketball i love soccer i can resist all i want at some point i'm just gonna flip the you know, turn on the tv on a saturday morning and watch some random soccer
2: games hold up what's your favorite team what's your favorite team this is an important question arsenal <laughs> arsenal Good oh, <laughs> no. uh, did you say i sorry i didn't hear you you said arsenal
1: yeah, yeah. I was I was waiting for I was waiting for Arsenal. I, I had a feeling I was coming.
2: Bro, I'm send I'm, I'm send me your address. I'm going to send you some condolences, man. You guys. <laughs> and you say you like but you say you like winning. This is so sad. You're talking about winning on the continent, but you're an Arsenal fan for all our listeners. You can now invalidate. Now I'm just kidding this conversation because <laughs> we found out he's an Arsenal fan. <laughs>
3: Yeah, and about that, right, uh, on the flip side of uh, winning, to me, you win better with systems, not as an individual. And Arsenal has not, like, as a team, have not had a winning system over the last half decade. And, and And, right, and to me, the other part of it is, you know, you don't disavow your own or you know, something you've committed to or should your love to or given your love to because it's, it's struggling. And, and I feel like a lot, I call it abandonment. A lot of people feel like, okay, like I've tried so hard. Like I'm talking to people on the continent, all they want is money. All they want is help. And you're like, okay, I give up. No, if you truly, if, if your heart is there, you will go there and take care of business. You will go there and empower. It's it's about empowering For the things that really matter, there's no, li- oh, actually, there's a, there's a limit to everything. Your limit shouldn't be, the threshold shouldn't be so low that, you know, after two experiences, you're just like, all right, I'm done. I've tried. Two is not the number.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's 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 actually really good. And, and interestingly, I, I mean, I said it as a joke, but this actually is going to lead really well into our next question. So you mentioned when you said Arsenal and the reason sort of for their failure, which is prevalent, is because they don't. Really have a system in place, right? A structure that can support this type of growth and give them a vision for the for where they want to go, right? And I think oftentimes we've seen that at a macro level, level as an issue on the continent for lots of countries, right? Like I, we gain independence, but then it's like I don't have a vision for what self-grown growth looks like, right? But then on a micro level, and this is where I want you to drill into is how do individuals right how do you and i find the keys right to success a vision for the future and i think there are two things here right there's mentorship and there's representation Uh, and i think mentorship is an integral part of growth because it gives you direction right um it, it shows you sort of the way but then along with mentorship representation gives you vision right vision allows you to to see someone who's in a position that you would like to be in one day right And it inspires you at the end of the day. Inspiration compels us to move and to act. And so I know with your organization, the African Advancement Network, you focus on both of these things, right? Both mentorship and mentorship from people that, are representative of where you know young talent want to get to one day and so could you tell us a little bit more about what your organization does who it seeks to empower and how it does that
3: uh yes and and thank you for for this opportunity yes those are truly you know two of the uh, maybe the three tenets of, of aan right? It's it's mentorship and representation. And the the third part is actually about empowerment through information and knowledge. So the mentorship part is about, okay, I've gone through maybe not the same challenges but similar challenges. I know what you're going through. Let's talk about it. Tell me, like, it's, it gives you, you know, so as a mentee, we call them fellows. As a fellow, it gives you an opportunity to know, hey, I could say all the things I have in my heart to this person. They won't judge me. They know where I'm coming from. They've been there. They've walked in my shoes. And the confidence, you know, they are vested in you. They have solutions because they've gone through it. And one of the things we try to do is we, I'm, we're not going to set, you know, pair you up if you're, you know, junior or sophomore with someone that's in their 20th year uh, as a professional. They may have the resources, but they they're not the best men, you know, they're not the best mentor because they may have lost track outside of how that works. So we're going to pair you up with someone that is a, a few years ahead of you. Maybe up to I think at this point we're trying to limit to just about seven. The, the, the sweet spot for us is like three to five years. They yeah, have gone through this. I've done that before and okay this is what works and oh by the way if you don't have it or if, if i don't have those those answers there's a full network that's it. that's you know the literal meaning of you know, the intention behind it we have a full network of over 40 mentors one-on-one mentors and if you go beyond that like each of them has about like three to four so roughly 120 people you could tap into in at this point maybe six industries but in the next five to 10 years, there shouldn't be any industry we can't cover, right? So initially we wanted to build it on the continent we, you know, for students, you know, as we, and this, this ties back to your question about brain drain, for students that are thinking about living, uh, right? Like going to Europe, coming to America, what works and what doesn't work? So all, of, all four of us as, as founders, we faced a lot of challenges when we first left the continent, especially when we came to America. So the idea was no one else, or not no one else, fewer people should have to deal with the same challenges that we did. So how do we fix this? And and this is just the entry point. So, you know, since we couldn't immediately, three years ago when we started, go and pick up, you know, start working with kids on the continent, we said, you know what, we're going to start here, right? Start somewhere. I think, you know, Blake Mankowski, you know, the founder of Toms, like has his book, uh, the title is Start Some that, Something That Matters or Do Something That Matters. And it's effectively about just starting. You could engineer your 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 program and whatnot for years and never put in anything in place. And th- th- there's certain things you can only learn by doing. So we figured we'll start here. And we started with college and universities in the U.S. and started picking up, no you know, choosing African students, uh, students from the African diaspora. So you don't have to be from the continent. You could actually have been born here. Actually, more than half of our students have, were born and raised in the U.S. and feel that need to contribute in. Feel that feel that they're kind of out of touch, they, they don't really they don't really belong, they don't know how to move forward. They're first generation, their parents are still working, two jobs, really haven't figured out how to get how to help them get into banking or consulting. You know like, yeah, that was us. That was us 10, that was me 10 years ago, right? That was you know Harold five, six years ago. So we we know that. We know how that feels. So this and that's why we figured we start with mentorship. Ultimately, we want to go and start mentoring and pairing up students at the at the high school level on the continent with students here, not just students, but with young professionals in the U.S. Which gives you a sense that this is not a, a solo journey, right? Again, I think this this fits well into the theme and, and your and, and your podcast series, the, the Ubuntu podcast. Like, I am because you are, and I'm going to be accountable to myself and to humanity by giving you the best that you could get out of this situation. Do you want to go and get an amazing education? I'll help you navigate those waters. I don't want you drowning in in, in the Mediterranean, you know, just trying to get to Italy. Okay, here's a a safe way to get there, right? Oh, by the way, here's how you choose the best schools that are going to be fit. You know, if you're trying to study engineering, it doesn't make sense to go to a liberal school right away. Why don't you just go to a school that has a focus on engineering? Things that people didn't tell us as kids. I I guess I I was probably fortunate to have people help me navigate those, but not everyone has that. So we wanna make sure that it's almost ubiquitous for the young Africans and you know, folks in the African diaspora that are looking to do better for themselves and to do better for our community, whether they like that, even think about it or not, right? When one of us does well, we all do well, right? And. You know, I can't remember the number of times where someone at law is like, oh, I need, can you refer someone? We have this position. But if I went there, if I weren't doing well, and Nadia, I'm sure you could relate to this. If you're not doing well, no one is asking you, can you refer somebody? Do you have, do you know someone that could do this? But when you're doing well, you're giving, not your, yes, you're getting paid, you're getting that bonus and whatnot. But now you become the conduit for someone else, right? Like the ambassador for an entire country, an entire group to go, to come in and do well and, and express themselves. So that's the mentorship part. Yeah. And the representation part, I think I kind of I started touching on it. I'm very intentional about actually physically going on the continent and talking to, you know, young people that are about the age that, you know, when I was living, I was not nervous, but I was, I wasn't sure what the whole thing was going to look like and feel like. I was the second one to go to live with my family. My sister had gone a year and a half before, she was still trying to figure that out. I was like, how is this going to play out? right? Like, How do I make sure that I go and get the best out of it, but also come back? So my goal was to go back. And over time, that's evolved. And I think that's part of the journey is telling people, you don't have to physically go back and, and settle back on the continent. I would argue that a lot of us, and I have you know, one of my closest mentors, Carl, who's a CEO at, at uh, EcoBank, He moved back. That was a deliberate choice. He could have stayed in the U.S. and was making good money, went to Harvard and whatnot. It's a deliberate choice. He has the most impact given his like the, his persona and everything he does and everything he is. He has the most impact being there. If you are like me, you have the most impact shuttling, being doing that diplomatic shuttle. Hey, I'm going to go to the US and talk about what I just saw. Like the opportunity is there and I'm going to go back and maybe take some capital and take a couple of people from here and go back and show Go to school. Go to, not even. I haven't been to my high school in like a decade. But I go to school. Invite myself to a school in, in in Abidjan, in Kampala, in in uh, Lomé. Say, you know what? I'm gonna. Can I talk to the principal? Can I just, you know, what's going on? What are some of your challenges? And show them that we are real. People like us going back are not a myth. We're probably a small group, but it's a growing group. It's a growing demographics. And the more they say, the more they actually would probably say, you know what? If I ever go, I don't have to stay. And if I do stay, I don't have to forget about the continent. So to me, it's about like that ability to see yourself or someone like you in higher places. I remember one of the things that, I wouldn't say bothered me, but that, that struck me at GP when my first year was there was only one black director on the whole floor. It's a scary thought to know that I have one in 70 chances to get there. If there were two, that would be two in 70. So that's like one in 35. So it tells me the, the more people I see like myself, the more it's feasible and realistic. Right. We all talk, talk about the, the the Obama effect. Hey, he made it there. If, if he could do it i don't care how he got there he, maybe i didn't go to harvard but it just tells me i could do it too now i just have to find my own way around it and and it doesn't to me it's not i don't have to be president but it just tells me some of these places that used to be for other people it tells you this sto- you know this story changes hey this is our space too and you know but that used to say occupy your space or own it is you know probably the best the best you know translation what is your space own it, right? Don't don't let anyone else tell you that tell me that oh no, it's not for you. When you know it's yours and literally anything on earth is ours by virtue of our humanity anything on earth is ours it's now a lot of time we're custodian of it we have to be you know take good care of of those things but we shouldn't shy away from those opportunities
0: man Uh, this has been really really good um thank you so much uh i have the honor of asking you the last question but even before i get to that i just really want to call out and affirm a lot of what you said something that's really sticking with me is said it a while back around when we talk about what africa has to give it's always focused on you know you know Africa only or kind of like catching up and we don't see the. We, we often like negate the reality is that when when Africa wins we all win and that's unfortunately been the truth even in a lot more corrosive ways you know it's like everything is from Africa you know when Africa's stolen from everyone benefit, when Africa triumphs everyone can learn something you know everyone's strengthened and so I really appreciated that and I also really appreciated what you said about not seeing brain drain as a departure but a shuttle to bring back and forth resources, capital. I really feel like those are very like anti-colonial kind of um, methods. And even as you're someone who is a business and industry, you know, economic professional, I think the incredible thing about what this podcast does, we have all kinds of guests. You know, we have folks who are community organizers who are doing work across the diaspora. We have people who are working in legal services. We have people who are working rapid response across the diaspora. We have people like you who are really helping to think about how we can achieve liberation from thinking about Africans dominating in markets, Africans being empowered by the perjuring, you know, financial liberation, justice, those kind of things. So I'm just kind of really geeking out and it's been a great conversation. <laughs> Hearing about the personal, the professional and what you do to give back, something that's very close to me and I'm taking notes and I'm learning. And so I wanted to just kind of kind of connect it to that. I know you shared how we need to, to be the best versions of ourselves that we don't shortchange we are. Because if we do, we're ultimately shortchanging those around us and those who can benefit from us. And I feel like that's a message that you would share with the entire diaspora. Now, that's usually the question we ask our guests, like, hey, what's something you would share with the entire diaspora if you could but I'm curious kind of as a caveat to that question what has been the most impactful advice a mentor has given to you to help you be your best self um for your benefit and for the community you engage with
3: I've had a lot of mentors over time over the years some are just I would say more like generalists, whether I go to for anything some are more targeted when I wasn't fine I'm still going finance stuff so I have people that have decades of experience in this space and and network and whatnot I've, I've worked in health in the healthcare space I have mentors that are more, uh, more dedicated to that space i'm very passionate about trade uh, so i have people that are bigger on trade and markets in general just from like basic trade you know buying and selling things left and right All that to say it's tough to get only one the one the one thing i, I and, and I'm, I'm trying to decide between two well maybe i'll, I'll give i'll give both. you know one of my mentors emil he's actually not much older than me i think he's like five six years old when we talk he's almost like brothers and two brothers just you know chatting but he has he's so wise and in people may have heard this before his advice was around taking everything as a journey and positioning yourself as the key actor in that on that journey and essentially he was saying don't let anyone else write your story or the story of your journey Do not give up that you know that capacity or that don't delegate that to someone else right so one it's a journey two you're the one writing that story to serve your journey don't delegate it to anybody else and also if people try start painting all kinds of colors on it say hey i don't really like that color and i don't want you painting that color again like this is my wall. like don't don't paint it was intriguing and interesting to me at the time i think i don't think i got it then this is probably i think it was run 2006 my dad had just passed away and i think I was, I was navigating a bunch of things and you're saying even your father passing away and all these things have happening around you're still the one writing your story and your story is it's on, you're on a journey so make sure that one you're still on a journey you know where you're going and two you keep writing that story don't let that be derailed by this event that Tragic, literally tragic, but here you are. Deal with it, but make sure that you're doing the right things about it. You're going about it the right way. The other advice, like I, I you know, a lot of people would say, uh, I'm I'm intense. The other advice that someone gave or once gave is actually my grandma. She said everything, you know, balance is how the universe stays in equilibrium. And I think we've heard some, some versions of it. Balance is everything. You want to be measured. I like how you let your energy kind of transpire in the things that you do. And I could tell when you don't like something or you're not, you know, invested, you know, you just kind of disengage or you know. And her advice was do not put too much emphasis on balance. Do not try to be balanced because that's what everyone thinks. Even nature, for there to be balanced, they need to be in balance. For you to put for you to push there has to be some kind of resistance in on the other side so be comfortable being on the side that no one wants to be in be comfortable taking that leap, running in the, you know, when it's raining and everybody's like, oh, I got to find shelter. You know, like, I am a human and there's nothing more beautiful, more more satisfying if you like running than running and being like smacked by the rain for like a good hour, 45 minutes or whatever that is. Right. So do those things. And yes, balance we want to have balance, but don't be afraid to be on the side of imbalance. Don't be afraid to push boundaries. And and I'm saying it, especially for us in the diaspora, right, because there's a pleated perspe- perception that it's risky to go to Africa. It's risky to do business in Africa. Security is not there. You might get shot in all these things. Some of the things are true. A lot of it is inflated. So, and I'm trying to connect the two things, which is why I was struggling with, do I tell, do I say one thing or the other? I think that, you know, the two things actually connect. If you don't let anyone write your story, right? Knowing that you are the main character in that story and you will drive that that story and, and the, that narrative. And two, you understand that there will be imbalances. And for there to be balanced, there has to be imbalance that sometimes gets, it's your job to produce that inbound, right? So, hey, people are not going there. Go there. All the things to risk, go. Invest there. I have, I'll tell you right now, more than half of my savings and investments are on the continent. People think it's risky, and I'll tell you, like, in in, in 2020, the S&P, you know, had a 50, I deeply believe in it. Uh, (laughs) uh, The S&P had a 15% return last year, 15%. So if you did, if you had a 50% on your portfolio last year, you you know, you're good. I can't think of any of my investments in Africa that was less than 25% last year. In a pandemic, in a place where, you know, if Everyone's you know, running left, and right, thinking, oh, "Oh, it's crazy. Like, I shouldn't go there. No one's going there. No, go there. And if you do your due diligence, right, the way that you would invest in the U.S., do the same thing. Maybe tweak it, adapt it to the reality. Yeah, I may not get you know the the financial statement every every quarter, every every year. But there are other ways to make sure you know to, to vet that business, to vet the to vet the people that work in that. And once you get your level of comfort, which is essentially what the S&P is doing for you, they you know they capture all like the you know, the financial statement the reports and this and that and tell you okay this company is worth this now it's going to be harder it's going to take more time not harder it's going to take more time right but if you if it's truly something you care about dedicating you guys are doing this right now on your no, saturday the day before you know for the 14, what is, what, is, what do you call it valentine's day you could be shopping for your girlfriend you could be planning a trip but here you are investing in something you truly believe in so so push further uh but so so to kind of summarize two things right like own your story you are the main character and don't let anyone else write it until Two, yes, seek balance, but be comfortable creating imbalance, especially for things that you believe in. So I'm happy to go in Africa when people think, it's crazy to go and invest there. You have security here. You worked at a big four, you could go back, or you worked at a bank, got a you know, top three bank in the world, you could go back. What can I add truly to JP today or in 10 years that's going to move the needle for a place like JP Morgan? Can I truly move, deeply move the needle for Deloitte or any of the, the big four? I, my assessment is that I cannot in a meaningful way without killing myself. But if I do the same things that I could do, I would do it in places place like Deloitte on the continent. I will move mountains. And that's my choice to like, you know, control that story. Tell, you no, know, not like tell you the way I see it in a way that also like paint it, paint it in a different color than people are used to. Uh, everyone's free to go to Africa. I'm going. I'm taking my friends with me. Oh, I'm taking my family with me at some point. And we'll go back and forth, right? It's, it's also comfort if you you know the person you're with doesn't want to go live in, you know, in Africa. You shouldn't force it upon them. Right? But I'm not I'm not here to give relationship advice. I'll stay in my lane. <laughs>
1: Thanks so much, Max, for what's been a really, really insightful conversation. All of us have really enjoyed just getting the time to, to learn from you today and learning more about your vision and your understanding of African innovation on the continent and ways in which we can spur. Growth on the continent, and really, you said really have African solutions to these African problems. So we want to thank you again. And is there any uh, way that we can keep in touch with you? Any platforms that the folks can follow you on?
3: Uh, yes, uh, I'm. I'm on Facebook. I use Instagram a, a lot more than maybe the other platforms. Yeah, Instagram is Max Diesel two three seven, which is the the area code for Cameroon or the country code, I should say. So Max Diesel uh, fit, for fitness reasons, Max Diesel that two three seven. On Facebook, you can find me at Maxativa, uh LinkedIn, same thing. Uh also follow AAN, it's Afro Advancement, at Afro Advancement on, on Instagram and on Facebook is the African Advancement Network. Uh, that's my platform uh, that's 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 my baby you know a couple of friends of my and, and i similar to you guys here uh but and, and thank you for the opportunity to to share a bit a little bit about what i have maybe accumulated over the years but also give back and pay forward big up for the rest of the year and for everything else you guys are going to do going forward thanks max
2: awesome thanks so much max thank you
1: hey everyone thank you so much for tuning in you can follow us on twitter and instagram at the ubuntu pod and on Facebook at The Ubuntu Podcast. Make sure to like, follow, and subscribe. You can listen to us on both Apple and Spotify as well.